Welcome to the Grace Community Church Podcast. We are grace for everyone, community for everyone, church for everyone. We hope that as you listen to the message from this past Sunday, that your heart is encouraged and you find yourself being drawn to Jesus wherever you're tuning in from. We are so grateful that you've joined us and pray that you'll be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Hey friends, one of my preferred ways of engaging with scripture is by spending significant time in one section. Like rather than bouncing around from book to book or verse to verse and, you know, trying to pick out themes, which we did last week, I like to take some time and like read slowly through a specific um, passage or through a specific book of the Bible, which is the way we often go through things here at Grace. Last week was kind of to set up the major themes that we're going to see in 1 Peter, but we're going to walk through the entire letter of 1 Peter over the next number of weeks. So for the remainder of the summer, I want us to be kind of immersed in the language of 1 Peter. I want us to be thinking about Peter in writing to the scattered nations. Uh, I want us to be thinking about those who've been persecuted and who are, who are feeling the pressure of the world kind of pressing in on them and how they live out this faith. The book of 1 Peter, it's only five chapters long. So you could read, you know, chapter one on Monday, two on Wednesday, three, and like, you know, in a work week, you'd get through the whole letter and then maybe start all over again the following week. Or or you could break down, you know, just a couple of verses at a time so that you spend this entire week in 1 Peter chapter one. However you wrestle with the text or sit with the text, I'd really encourage you to just take time to like slow down and really settle into 1 Peter over the next month. Today we're going to embark on this journey together um, of digging into a, a letter that has all sorts of really beautiful language in it, also some challenging ideas for for the individuals who first heard it, but also for us as we uh, think about how this message can still resonate over uh, all of this time. It, it still guides us in navigating the challenges that we face as living as strangers in a world that is not our home. So we're going to talk about living hope in a world that is not our home. And so in the first chapter, Peter gets right to it. He addresses these dispersed believers. He emphasizes the transformative power of God's grace in the midst of trials and tribulations. In the midst of their burdens and their strife, he comes to them and he says, grace and peace to you. I come to bring you encouragement. The book opens with these words. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, it's always important when we get into scripture to realize what we're reading when we come to it. Because the Bible is full of different literary forms, um, from different authors directed to different audiences and different places and different times. Like the Bible is, is a compilation of books that spans like thousands of years uh, worth of writing and different authors. And so it's, it's helpful to understand not only the original context, 
but also who who's writing, what kind of language is he using, what kind of um, document are we looking at? And, and it's important to know the original meaning before we try to extrapolate what it could mean for us in 2023. It's important to kind of understand what is the Bible saying in, in its time to its audience and then think about what might apply to us today. And so in this case, it's helpful to remember that this is a letter. We are reading somebody else's mail. It's Peter, uh, you know, the follower of Jesus who uh, is writing to the exiles, it says, to those who've been scattered throughout what would now be modern-day Turkey. Now, you might remember Peter. Um, He was the impetuous disciple who was known for putting his foot in his mouth. Uh, He's the one who, you know, when he saw Jesus walking on water, said, like, invite me out. I want to walk on water, too. He's, He's probably the only human being besides Jesus who had the opportunity of stepping on water. He made these bold statements of devotion that like, never will I deny you, never will I leave you. He was the one who would, you know, you are the, you are the son of God. You have the words of life. Where else would we go? But he's also the one who like cut off a servant's ear and denied that he ever knew Jesus. He was a former fisherman who became one of the like inner circle disciples, one of the three that were closest to Jesus. That's who we're talking about when we talk about Peter. This one who started out as Simon, actually. And Jesus said that he would be Kephas. He would be the the rock. Um, Which when we translate rock into uh, Greek, it becomes Petros, where we get the name Peter. So Simon the rock. Simon Peter. Uh, I say it was written by Peter. and And it's worth noting that authorship of New Testament books... Um, have been debated, including 1 Peter, have been the subject of scholarly scholarly discussion for uh, like centuries. And so traditionally, the letter has been attributed to the Apostle Peter, the one that we've just been talking about. You know, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, prominent figure in the early Christian church, on this rock I will build my church. However, there are some scholars that have raised questions about the authorship of 1 Peter um, based on some like linguistic and theological differences in Peter's other writings. Also, 1 Peter uses some pretty sophisticated Greek, which maybe doesn't sound so much like Peter. So there, these factors have led some to claim that this was a later disciple who wrote trying to sound like Peter, you know, wrote it, wrote to as a way of honoring and promoting Peter's teachings uh, and the teachings of Jesus. So ultimately, though, for me, that the question of authorship doesn't diminish the significance of the letter or its place in the New Testament canon. The the early Christian community uh, recognized its spiritual value. They were Uh, you know, saw it as authoritative and so included it in the scriptures. They considered it to be inspired and authoritative for faith and practice. So, So whether it was written directly by Peter or by a disciple who was influenced by Peter's teachings, the content of 1 Peter still remains an incredible source of encouragement and guidance for Christians not only then, but for hopefully us today as well. So for the sake of clarity, we're going to say that Peter is writing to the scattered church. Peter the Apostle um, uh, is writing to the scattered church. And these people have been scattered, some of them likely because of persecution. Uh, they found themselves in, you know, far from the center of the church in Jerusalem, far from uh, Galilee and the places where we read all of the great works of Jesus uh, in, in the book of Acts and in the, in the Gospels. So they're into these like outer reaches of the known world, all the way into Turkey and in what would be modern day Greece. 
And so he's writing to these scattered ones and it's, he calls them the chosen ones. And there's beauty in that language because it, it harkens back to people who've been chosen uh, as the people of Israel. There's this idea that God has chosen them. And, and he's likely speaking to, to people who maybe have some Jewish faith, but also to Gentiles. So he's including these ones who up until now have been outside of the family, outside of the Christian faith. And he's saying, you've been chosen you to the chosen ones, to the exiles, using again that language of exile in the book of Exodus and including these people who are now continuing this story of being scattered, of being pushed out, of still being God's chosen ones, but not being in the place where they would traditionally see the blessing and goodness of God in the land of Jerusalem. So they, because of persecution, they found themselves far away and, and he, they've been called the chosen ones. And in some translations, it says the elect to the chosen ones or the elect. And that word elect might trip up a few people because it, it, it's loaded language, especially when it says like God foreknew or predestined. That, that language is going to show up here in 1 Peter. But what Peter was getting at, I, I question whether some of the stuff that we've read into it into the, in the last uh, few centuries is actually what Peter was intending. What he was trying to get across was his idea that they were chosen, just like the people of Israel were chosen um, when God chose Abraham, that they are exiles, just like the people of Israel were exiles in the book of Exodus, that they were chosen to be followers of Jesus, chosen um, and, and marked by his blood that he had shed for them. And he calls them strangers. Another interesting phrase, because on one hand, they're very much strangers in the places they now live. Many of them have been forced to move away because of their faith and have found themselves in cities where maybe they don't even speak the language, where they, they find themselves now strangers in the neighborhoods, well, no longer in the places where they grew up in Jerusalem or whatever town in Galilee they may be grew up in. They're now in these new cities and they find themselves being strangers. Not only are they physically strangers in this new land, but they are also spiritually strangers in a place that doesn't recognize Jesus as Lord, that maybe has never heard the gospel. They're strangers to the old world that they used to live in, the old way of life that they have come out of, that they're now living out this good news of Jesus in a foreign setting, that they've been chosen, they've been set apart, they've been made holy in, other, in, in order that others might see and no. So this is who Peter is writing to. He's writing to these people who've been scattered, who are feeling the pressure of the world kind of pressing up against them, who are feeling this sense that they are like fish out of water, that they don't quite fit in with the cultural practices and the, the ways of the world around us. So he's writing to this church. And when I say church, I mean like it's groups of people scattered all over in the different cities. This letter would have made its way around to a number of different gatherings of believers. So it's, it's church in the big sense of church, but it was uh, these people who gathered in various cities um, in, in, in small or large numbers. And Peter writes to encourage them, to each one of them, that, that they would see throughout the letter, you're going to hear these reminders of hope to, to continue to press on in, in the midst of trial and tribulation. The, the, as they wrestle with the challenges of living in a world that is not their home, they see themselves as strangers and exiles. That's the way, that's the language that Peter uses. And I'm not sure if that's how you see yourself, if that's, you know, the, the picture that you have uh, of your own life as a, as a stranger in this world, as, as somebody who, um, who lives here in, in Canada or wherever you're watching from, but that this is, this world is somehow still not our home. 
I definitely have times where I feel a little bit like a fish out of water because of my faith. That because of my perspective and understanding of what this world is all about, I'm not drawn into some of the pursuits that others would be drawn into. That I'm not drawn into the same worries and, and stress that others might be drawn into because I, I don't see this as the whole story. I don't see my, you know, 80 years here on this earth or whatever I, I end up living, I don't see that as the whole story. I see that this story continues so much further beyond what we're experiencing right now. And that perspective sometimes puts me at odds with perspectives of those around me. I, I feel like a stranger at times. I feel like an exile, like this world is not my home. And we're called to that. We're called to live as strangers. We're called to live as though this world isn't the end of the story. That, that the, the time we have here is precious, but that it carries on beyond this. Peter reminds us through this letter that we're chosen ones, that we're also exiles, that we're called to be God's holy people. And, and just as the early Christians here in this letter had faced persecution and dispersion, we're too called to, to live as strangers who've been scattered, who've been pushed out, who will face some measure of persecution because of our following Jesus. Our, our citizenship is not solely on this earth. We belong to a different kingdom. We worship a different king. And we must remember that our purpose here is to be an ambassador of that kingdom, that uh, we live for a, a bigger story than the one that our neighbors might be living for. That we're called to shine his light in the darkness, to reflect his love around us. So this is Peter's introduction. He says, to the elect, to the chosen ones, to those who are exiles, living as strangers in this world, grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's the intro. Peter, we now know who's writing and who he's writing to. He's writing to those chosen ones who've been scattered across the provinces. And here comes the encouragement. Verses 3 to 9 say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If there was a theme verse to this letter, it is that. That is, that this praise God for this living hope that he has brought you into. Praise God that he has given us new birth into this living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there is an inheritance that is waiting for us, that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. Even if you face trials, even though you face all sorts of grief, your, your faith is being refined, that you are one day going to see the goodness of God in all of its glory. 
if there was a theme, it is hope in the face of suffering. It is living hope in a world that is not our home. It's hope in the face of trouble. Amidst the trials and challenges, we find comfort in this living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. As followers of Christ, we're assured of a future inheritance that is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading. That no matter how difficult our circumstances may be, we can face them with hope knowing that this is not the end of the story, that our ultimate destiny is secure in the hands of a loving and faithful God. This is the perspective that we live with. We, not, we live not just for this world, we live for the kingdom that is coming. And, and Peter goes a step further than encouraging us to just kind of withstand those trials but to actually consider it joy, to actually rejoice in the trials that we encounter because we know that those trials are purifying our faith, that like gold that's being refined in the fire. These, these trials may be uncomfortable and painful, but they are serving a greater purpose. They are making us stronger. They are making us more like Christ. They deepen our dependence on God. They strengthen our character. They refine our faith. They ultimately bring glory to him. So instead of grumbling and despairing in difficult times, the challenge is for us to embrace these trials with a measure of joy, knowing that God is using them to mold and shape us into vessels that are used for his purpose, for his kingdom. We keep reading. Peter says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that has come to you searched intently and with greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. How, how amazing is the grace that has been given to us? this gift that's been extended to us. Peter writes to those who have been scattered. He says, like, you, didn't, you never even saw him, yet you love him. That, that you've been given this message of a, a God who, who has redeemed us, who has called us out, who has chosen us. That this gift has been given to you. The angels long to look on these things. The, the prophets have been dreaming about this for centuries. He's reminding these scattered and persecuted believers that they've received a gift that, that people for, for all of the story of God have been longing to come to fruition. And even the angels long to look into these things. So as strangers in a hostile world, this grace is what sustains us. This grace that has come to us. Peter reminds us of the grace that was revealed through the prophets of old and is fully manifested in the person of Jesus. God's grace, this this incredible gift that has been given to us. Like, it's free. It's, it's unmerited. It's undeserved. It's offered to us through faith in Jesus. And these believers have, have come to that faith. And Peter reminds them that even though you're strangers, even though you're facing these pressures, remember this incredible grace that has been given to us. This grace empowers us to, to persevere, that to overcome adversity, and to love others, even in the face of that kind of hostility. Oh, that we wouldn't take the grace of God for granted, but that we would receive it humbly and that we would extend it to those around us. Peter reminds them that this incredible grace is ours. It's ours to lean into. It's ours to extend to others. 
And he closes his first chapter with an encouragement to live in that grace that we have received. He says, therefore, with minds that are fully alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of the perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Living holy lives in this world means uh, living as strangers. Living as strangers in this world means living holy lives. Peter implores us to, to be holy just as God is holy, that our conduct and character should reflect the nature of our Heavenly Father. Our lives should be marked by love, love of God and love of neighbor, that we shouldn't just rely on the things that have been handed down to us. It's, it's this that shows us that, that the people that Peter's talking to probably came from outside of the family of God, that, that they were handed down different idols, like things of silver and gold, that, that those things that couldn't save, but that now they've been marked by the precious blood of Christ without lamb, a lamb without blemish or defect. That, that the things that had been handed down, the way that we lived in the past is not going to lead us to salvation. But if we place our hope in Jesus, if we put our trust in him, believe in him, we will be raised from the dead like he was. That we will we be raised imperishable. We will have this solid hope that we can trust in. And because of that hope that we can love one another. And in a world that is marked by by greed and looking out for number one, we should be marked by being people of generosity and serving others. In a world that is known for violence and anger, we should be known for our peace and our joy. Our transformed lives can be a powerful witness to those who don't know Jesus. That living into the kingdom and kingdom values speaks louder than living into the ways of the world. In a a world where fear and anxiety are prevalent, we're called to fear God and God alone. And this fear is a, is a reverence. I love the, the way that Peter puts that. It's reverent fear. Our reverence for God should supersede any other fears that we might have, whether that's, you know, a circumstance that might come our way or what other people think, that, that it's our desire to honor God with our lives that is the only fear that we maintain. We, when we fear God, we recognize his, his sovereignty. We, we trust that the promises that he has made are true and that one day he will set everything to right. We, we place ourselves in his hand. All of our security, our comfort, our guidance, they, they come from him. And that, that helps us in the midst of life's uncertainties. This is what it means to live in reverent fear. It's not 
fear of punishment or retribution. It's not a fear that we have that God is somehow angry with us. It is, it's a fear that trusts, that, that, that worships, that seeks to obey. It's a reverence, a recognition of God's power and grace that, that our lives become marked with worship and obedience. And all of this leads to love. Peter says that we love one another. Now that we've purified ourselves, now that we've, we've accepted this grace, we've put our trust in God, we obey this truth, we have sincere love for each other. So he says, love one another deeply from the heart. Remember, Peter's writing to believers that have been persecuted and scattered. And, and I imagine that the temptation for them would be to shrink back, to circle the wagons, to protect themselves and, 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 and not to be reach, reaching out to others. I imagine that temptation would be really significant. But, but Peter encourages them to, to press on, to, to continue walking in the way of Jesus, which is the way of love. To not give in to the temptation to just live according to the old ways of the world, but to press on in the ways of the kingdom, to love one another deeply from the heart. Because that's what's going to make the difference. This is what's going to last. Next week, we're going we're gonna to pick up in the middle of this thought of living hope and living lives of love in this world that is not our home. But for today, ask yourselves, is my life marked by that kind of hope, by that kind of love, by that kind of peace and joy, a hope for the future that God has promised us, that this story is not going to end with our death, but we're going to step into eternity and the story will continue on. Does this prospect of eternity give me strength to face the struggles and trials that I'm challenged with today? Do I see myself as a stranger in this world? That this place is not my home? That one day I will step into eternity with Jesus and everything is going to be changed, including me? And if not, if we don't see ourselves that way, how might God build that hope in your heart today? Ask him. Ask him to bring reminders to you of his faithfulness and grace. Ask him to reveal to you what, what it looks like to trust in him and in his kingdom today. Slow down and look at the ways he's already given you hope in the midst of your trials. And then keep your eyes on Jesus. He endured so much on our behalf. He knows what suffering is like. He knows what it's like to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And here's the good news. He goes with us still. He came that we might have life abundant here and now and for all of eternity, that we would have this living hope. That's what he's called us into. So may our lives be marked by that kind of hope, a hope that holds us in the midst of our trials, that motivates us to live holy lives, a, a hope that causes us to love others well, a living hope in a world that is not our home. Let's pray. God, oh, we're people that long to live like Jesus, to reflect his goodness and grace in the world around us. Would, would you remind us of the incredible hope that we have? Would you remind us on a regular basis? Would you help us to see your fingerprints, to, to hear your voice in the midst of the trials that we face and, and know that we're not alone and that this will not last forever? Would we be people who not only have that hope, but share it with others, who love others well and deeply? Help us to see ourselves as pilgrims on a journey and to invite others to walk with us into the bright future that you have for us, whether we see that bright future on this side of eternity or on the other side. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. We have only a few more weeks in our best summer yet. Kib 
Kids camp starts this week, so please be praying for our students and for our leaders as they head down to camp for an amazing week. Youth camp is the following week, so if you've been thinking about sponsoring a student and you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to um, put $200 towards the best summer yet, and that'll help us ensure we get as many students down to camp as possible. Uh, you can do that on the website, just choose best summer yet in the drop-down menu. Um, if you wanna help us just finish strong with our best summer yet, knowing that we've been investing throughout the summers, uh, we, we just invite you to give, whether it's $200, whether it's more, that you would do that uh, through the website as well. We appreciate you partnering with us to invest in the lives of these students through the summer. All of the other summer events are on the website there. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning or a baseball game that's gonna be coming up on the 20th or down at the lake for September long. Uh, find out all the information about that on the website. And until we see you again, may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. The love of God be reflected in your hands. The wisdom of God be reflected in your words. And the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and seeing believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace to you.